Welcome to Proto, Dispatches from the Frontiers of Medicine, produced in cooperation with Massachusetts General Hospital. Your host is Dr. Bruce Bloom Esquire, Ashoka Fellow and President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. How has broadening the application of Gleevec as a targeted therapy for cancers other than chronic myelogenous leukemia changed how oncologists classify and diagnose cancers? And what impact has it had on the way in which clinical trials are designed? Our guest is Dr. David Fisher, Chief of the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Dermatology and the Director of the Melanoma Program at MGH Cancer Center. Dr. Fisher, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. So let's start by having you remind us of the story of Gleevec, and then take us through how this targeted cancer drug has been repurposed for other cancers. The story of Gleevec is actually a multi-level story that began in leukemia, where it was a small molecule that attacked the mutated oncoprotein that drove the formation and the advancement of chronic myelogenous leukemia. From there, it was discovered that mutations in a different kinase, but a kinase that was also susceptible to blockade by Gleevec, mutations in this gene, which was called the KIT gene, KIT, resulted in a different tumor, GI stromal tumor, gastrointestinal stromal tumor. And these tumors turned out to be very sensitive to the Gleevec drug as well. As a result, uh, it put patients into remission where that tumor had previously been enormously resistant to just about any form of therapy. That was the circumstance up until several years ago where there were these relatively restricted examples of oncologic conditions where very specific mutated genes conferred susceptibility to a targeted agent like Gleevec that was able to block that mutated gene whose function really was essentially an engine that was driving the tumor. So this was targeted in the sense that uh, it was not a drug that was discovered by a kind of uh, a random screening program of various drugs against the tumor, but it was based on an understanding of what the molecular etiology of the cancer was. So this impacted in, in the world of melanoma just a few years ago when it was noticed that there are certain mutations that segregate within different classes of melanoma subtypes. And one of the ways that these melanomas could be discriminated was simply on the basis of what part of the skin of the body or what part of the body the melanoma arose on. And so there is one extremely common mutation, which is known as a, a mutation in a gene known as BRAF, which is present in probably a half to two-thirds of melanomas. And these are relatively common in sun-exposed parts of the skin, for example. But it was noticed that there are melanomas that arise in non-sun-exposed parts of the body, such as on the palms and soles of the body or, or along the GI or oral tracts, in other words, inside of the mouth or along the gastrointestinal tract. And those melanomas almost never contained mutations in the BRAF gene. And this led to a search for what other mutations might be present. And it was there that an incidence, a significant incidence, maybe 25% or so of those melanomas contained activating mutations within the KIT gene. That was an important discovery because unlike most discoveries of mutations in cancer where you say, okay, we now have an idea of what kind of a therapy we would like to target, but we don't yet have a drug. In this case, we do have a drug, and that drug is Gleevec, because in a different tumor, in the gastrointestinal stromal tumor, 
we already knew that mutated kit was susceptible to Gleevec, and therefore it instantly triggered in us the need to run a clinical trial and test the possibility that Gleevec might have efficacy even in melanomas when they are driven by the mutated kit gene. So are we using Gleevec now for those kinds of melanomas? Yes. So this might apply to pancreatic cancers or any of the other really serious cancers. What about in the brain? Same thing? Conceptually, we do believe that this will apply to any other cancer. But what has to be present in order for this to be successful, the the alignment of the stars, means on the one hand, we have the identification of a functionally critical oncogene, that is to say the gene whose mutation is driving the growth, the survival of that tumor. And on the other hand, we have to have the right drug, the small molecule that successfully targets that oncogene. And if you have that combination in hand, the implication would be that even in melanoma, the fact that it will melt to such a a combination would suggest overwhelmingly that that combination should be successful. And we would propose that that will be the case for every other form of cancer. So what does this mean for how we classify cancers and how we do research? Should we be looking at pathways and ignoring what the organ is and just looking at All of these various cancers have a similar mutation, so if we can find a drug or if we have a drug, we should be testing it on all of them? Well, I would say that, in fact, there is a considerable greater level of complexity in the problem. And I think that in terms of classification of cancers, it is absolutely the case one has to be very much aware of these molecular mutations and the classification based on those genes that are mutated is now beginning to dominate the field, and most of us feel that's completely appropriate. On the other hand, the organ specificity and even the kind of geographic location, you know, palms of your hand versus uh, a melanoma on your shoulder, that has to be considered still and will continue to be considered. And, And one of the reasons for this is that despite the successes we've seen with targeted therapy, we're not there yet. In fact, we're barely closer. And the reason is that although these patients are having very dramatic responses initially, and the responses are following what we believe are predictable mechanisms, they are nonetheless relapsing. And the durability of those responses leaves a huge amount to be desired. We must do better. And the likely cause of this is the cooperativity or the synergy between this pathway, the driven pathway, and probably pathways that are driven by other mutational events, other oncogenes that are mutated within these tumors. And those second and third and fourth mutational events that are giving rise to cancers, melanoma with KIT, let's say, or pancreatic with RAS and other genes and so on with all other cancers, that complexity, that web of multiple oncogenes that are collaborating to produce the tumors is ultimately going to be the true molecular profile that on the one hand classifies the tumor and on the second hand is going to inform us of what are the best combination treatments, not just a single targeted agent, but hopefully combination of targeted agents that will really cause the tumor to not only regress, but remain in remission. In other words, to achieve a cure. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Proto, Dispatches from the Frontiers of Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and our guest is Dr. David Fisher. Dr. Fisher and I are discussing targeted therapies in oncology. So what will change in our approach to clinical trials if we're starting to look, A, at 
classifying things by their mutations and B, realizing that we need to do multiple therapies at the same time if we want to create a long-term durable remission? So a number of things are changing in the trials. One very important rapid application that is hopefully happening quickly enough, but in the oncology world, nothing is really quick enough. We're pushing as fast as we can, is to ask whether, although we know that these single-agent targeted therapies are not curing patients, though they have a temporary significant effect, the que- one important question is, what would happen if we treat them earlier in the disease? Suppose a patient has a melanoma which is thick in the skin, and it is removed, and you see no evidence of disease anywhere in the body by any scans or x-rays. Yet, from the epidemiologic data and the historical data, we know that this patient may have a 50% chance of relapsing because of microscopic spread. So one important initiative that we're undertaking now is to ask in that population of patients where there's nothing measurable, there's no disease that would be measurable, can we design clinical trials which include drugs like Levac to clean up, so to speak, the microscopic disease, the microscopic metastatic cancer that probably had been missed for 50% of those patients. And because that burden of tumor, because the number of cells is so low, we believe there is a statistical likelihood that in that setting, some of those patients might actually be cured That is to say, they may never relapse as compared to the circumstance of waiting for the cancer to relapse and then looking for large masses of tumors, billions and billions of cells, to shrink because then the statistical likelihood is that there is more likely a clone that has developed a resistance to the drug in some fashion. So that is one important change in clinical trial design, which is to put some of these targeted therapy strategies earlier on for patients who are not sitting around at the stage of very advanced disease with no other options, but perhaps offer them at an earlier stage. And in this particular case, with drugs targeting kit-mutated melanomas, we're working very hard now on an international trial that would actually span most of the globe to try and identify that population of patients and hope that there would be an opportunity to intervene in that way. When you design clinical trials to use multiple drugs to combat a wide variety of mutations in patients who have relapsed, do we have the scientific technology or know-how to manage those kinds of trials? Can we support using two or three different kinds of cancer drugs at the same time and make sure we understand the effects? Yes, we do from a technical perspective, from an academic perspective. The information, the knowledge base, the technology is absolutely there, and the will is busting from the seams. There's so much excitement and enthusiasm about doing that. There is, however, a very important rate-limiting step, or two, I would say. One is simply the availability of drugs from the perspective that we don't yet have drugs against every mutated oncogene. However, we do have quite a few. There are out there in the pharmaceutical industry quite a few drugs. And the second problem, and unfortunately this is a very significant one, is that sometimes the two drugs you may want to combine may be owned by different companies. They were produced by different pharmaceutical companies. And the prospect of combining across company lines. So what else is going on in the world of melanoma that's interesting? Well, one of the very important follow-ups to this, which is going to be hitting the news shortly, 
is another successful targeted therapy story against, in this case, the BRAF mutation. And this is a, a much more common mutation. This is now 50 to 70% or so of all melanomas where the kit mutation is much more down in the single digits because it's in these non-sun exposed areas. And what's happened in the BRAF area is that there are several inhibitors, several small molecule targeted agents, which selectively block the mutated form of BRAF in melanoma with about a 30-fold selectivity relative to the normal BRAF protein. And the consequence of this in the early phase clinical trials has been very similar to what has been seen in the GLEVAC studies for kit mutant, mutant melanoma. Once again, we're seeing a significant majority of patients showing major evidence of clinical benefit. It can be anywhere from the tumors completely disappearing all the way to simply arresting the growth of the tumor. Rarely there have been patients in which the tumor would even still progress, so it's not a perfect drug. Nonetheless, we're seeing now a second example within a year or two of the KIT result, and this is a particularly important observation because it affects a very large fraction of the patients who have melanoma overall. And, and I would also point out this is one of the big areas where MGH is in a leadership position. Dr. Keith Flaherty, who's a member of the MGH Cancer Center, he's the, the director of early therapeutics, uh, these kinds of early phase clinical trials. He's really the international principal investigator in these trials of BRAF-targeted therapy, and this is one of the most exciting areas, and it's following exactly in the same footsteps as the Gleevec and Kit story with respect to evaluating the clinical responses. Fortunately, there are several companies with inhibitors directed against this target working on combination clinical trials and so on, so a great deal of excitement in that area as well. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. David Fisher, Chief of the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Dermatology and the Director of the Melanoma Program at MGH Cancer Center in Boston for helping us understand how targeted therapies are changing the face of cancer research and cancer treatment. Dr. Fisher, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Proto Dispatches from the Frontiers of Medicine. Proto Dispatches from the Frontiers of Medicine is produced in cooperation with Massachusetts General Hospital and Time, Inc. Content Solutions. For more information about this show, please visit reachmd.com forward slash proto. Let Proto Magazine take you to the frontiers of medicine. How might handwriting hint at disease? What really causes osteoarthritis? Who should be creating evidence-based guidelines? Proto Magazine, published by Massachusetts General Hospital, explores compelling breakthroughs and controversial ideas in the lab, on the wards, and in health policy. Visit our website, protomag.com, for your complimentary issue and to view the latest advances and updates in clinical research, basic research, and health policy. That's protomag.com forward slash reach MD.